Welcome to Straight from the CPA's Mouth, your connection to the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center, Alberta CPAs, and business professionals. This podcast, presented by the CPA Education Foundation, features Alberta chartered professional accountants and others sharing their expertise and insights on a wide range of topics. Tune in regularly for eye-opening looks on leadership, business, education, and many issues of the day, straight from the CPA's mouth. Before we begin, in honour of the 94 calls to action put forth by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, we'd like to acknowledge that CPA Education Foundation offices are situated on the traditional Treaty 6 and Treaty 7 territories. The Foundation acknowledges that we reside on traditional and ancestral territories of many Indigenous, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples. Their histories and culture influence our community to this day. The CPA Education Foundation is committed to helping build a province where Indigenous peoples and their voices and experiences are heard, valued, respected, and celebrated. Hello and welcome to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. My name is Kevin Spila with the CPA Education Foundation and I'm your host for today's episode. According to a recent article on wealthprofessional.ca, almost one-third of Canadians are unable to pay monthly bills, while millions are leaning heavily on credit. In fact, almost six out of ten Canadian households are in debt. And how do Albertans fare in all of this? When it comes to level of debt, we are slightly higher than the national averages. According to a couple of reports released this past fall, Albertans had the highest amount of non-mortgage debt in the second quarter of 2023 at just over $24,400 just over 15% more than the Canadian average. The cost of living in Alberta is also higher, with both Calgary and Edmonton indexing higher than the Canadian average. With so many people already concerned about paying bills amid a rising cost of living, many may feel like they have to take on more debt just to afford basic necessities. Joining us today from Lethbridge, Alberta by Zoom is Sandy Lyons, CIRP CPA CFE. He is a licensed insolvency trustee and credit counsellor and volunteer with the CPA Canada Financial Literacy Program. He is here to talk to us about managing and dissolving debt. Welcome, Sandy. Can you hear me? You bet. Glad to be here. Great. Before we begin, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, your area of expertise? Let's go from there. Sure. I, I'm actually Alberta-born and uh, grew up on a farming operation north of Edmonton. Okay. I I have uh, become a became a CPA in the 80s. Been practicing in the area of insolvency and restructuring, pretty much for all of my career from 1983 to now. I now consider myself semi-retired, but I do contract my services to two licensed insolvency trustee firms here and in Ontario. Okay, so I assume you've worked in both consumer and small business sphere. Uh, What are you seeing for the Alberta economy right now? Well, I do practice in both the consumer and the small business areas. That's been my bread and butter for all of my career. But I will limit my comments today to the consumer side, uh, just to deal with one side of of a two-sided coin here. Absolutely. On the the consumer side, well, we're seeing higher interest rates and inflation which has a spiraling cost upon consumers. And even though uh, we see people still being able to manage, uh, people that are in closed mortgages uh, with fixed interest rates and looking at renewals, they're having to start to think about the future. And of course, with that, we see property taxes increasing and the general cost of living, which is causing some stress on just the general 
ability to meet expenses with the income coming in, especially when wages aren't keeping up with inflation. Mm -hmm. And post-COVID pandemic, uh, of course, we are now seeing certain costs come back to the forefront where they weren't during COVID. For example, the couple that were able to work at home, now they have increased transportation costs where they now have to pay childcare again because they're working in a hybrid environment. Right. As well, now those people that were in debt are starting to feel some additional stress because the banks and Canada Revenue Agency are back collecting on the debts that they that were owed right. and taking stronger positions about getting repaid. Okay, so why does this feel so different? Have you seen anything similar ever before? Well, we've had in Alberta a number of recessionary cycles. I, I started my practice in 1981 working for other people that were in a firm of chartered accounts at that time. And I largely practiced in the insolvency area because that was where the work was. Right. And reality is that whenever we're in an economic downturn, it's problematic and a high inflationary cycle. Back in the early 80s, we had a very significant interest rate. I remember the interest rate on my first mortgage was 17%. However, that house was only costing me $120,000. Yeah. Today, with the average cost of a house being north of $400,000, it's a much bigger impact when we look at those marginal increases in interest rates. Right, that makes sense. I guess, is that why you would say that so many Albertans and Canadians are in so much debt? Since the early 80s, we've had a cycle of lower interest rates through the back end of the 90s and the early 2000s. So we've had the pleasure of a very low interest rate as compared to back in the 80s, and that has increased consumerism, sometimes to the good, sometimes to the bad. Let's face it, uh, we all have a sense of wanting to keep up with the Joneses a little bit, of having things. Right. And when there were low interest rates, we didn't think so much about it as maybe we maybe we should have. Right. You had mentioned, uh, or you had touched on this briefly already, that the last couple of years have been uh, difficult ones with the pandemic and people losing jobs and inflation, higher interest rates, etc. What impact do you think the pandemic has had on our collective consciousness when it comes to debt and debt management? Well, as I kind of referred to earlier, the pandemic basically saw a reprieve from collection actions when we owed debt. Um, credit card companies and mortgage companies, which were much more forgiving, the government was handing out money in terms of CERB and other types of programs to help support people to get through. Mm -hmm. And of course, the expenses weren't there. Uh, I mentioned earlier the concept of lower cost of transportation because everybody was at home. Right. The the lack of need for childcare because childcare was closed right. and it was at home. So people had a false sense of what they had available. And the reality was that there was much more money out in the economy. And then as interest rates and um, inflation started to hit, the reality of the after effects of the pandemic became much more prevalent and that also fed into the mental health of the individuals. So would you say that we are more cautious now or is it a free-for-all where people have just accepted that uh, debt is unavoidable? Well I think that we've got a place right now out there in the economy that we think that we have to spend money to make money and, right. uh, and that debt is inevitable. The reality of it is, is that debt is something that we're now becoming a little bit more concerned about as interest rates rise and people see the reality that, oh, that cost credit is 
is increasing. And maybe we now have to take some steps to curb that spending. And that's that's maybe maybe a very good thing in, in a roundabout fashion because it makes us stop and really look at what's happening. Right. And, and I guess... Uh... Speaking of spending and maybe trying to curb spending, uh, we were, we're just coming out of the Christmas season. I know we tried to uh, cut back our spending a little bit, but uh, some of us may have added to our debt load. Uh, we also just marked a Blue Monday, which is uh, supposedly the most depressing day of the year, uh, as people realize the extent of their post-holiday debt. And you, you did kind of touch on this a little bit about being in debt uh, affecting mental health, but what does debt do to our emotional health? Well, speaking from an emotional perspective, Debt is something that can cause a sense of hopelessness. Well, if we get too much debt on the on our plate, then the problem becomes one of not seeing a way out, not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And it can make us feel very much out of control, which then causes anxiety, maybe depression. Mm-hmm. And it can obviously impact productivity because if you're worrying about money, Maybe you're not as productive at your employment as you were before when you're maybe getting the occasional collection call or alternatively worried about making that minimum payment this month. Right. And of course, being post-Christmas, the issue you run into is that unfortunately a high percentage of our population puts Christmas on credit. Right. Uh, and that causes anxiety usually in the months of January, February, and March, which are also pretty much the darkest months of the year in our in Alberta and that darkness and can pervade into that emotional well-being. Right. Just a side note on credit card debt. Is there more credit card debt say now than there was during the pandemic or even before the pandemic or has that kind of been at consistent levels throughout? Well, it's been consistent throughout. I think that access to credit post-pandemic we started to see the increase in interest rates. And that has made people maybe stop a little bit. The problem we have is it's almost a hangover effect of the debt that we had pre-pandemic. The credit card companies and banks were not imposing collection requirements, but they were still charging interest. Right. So the reality is, is that there's more debt today because the increasing amount of accumulated interest on that debt when things were at a point where maybe people couldn't afford to make their payments. Those that were already in trouble are now really in trouble. Okay, so it just kind of snowballed. Yeah, and with the increase in in cost of living, it's squeezing the available dollars to pay debt as we pay more to pay those basic costs of housing and food and utilities. So I know this is probably a big question, but how how did we get here? What about those people who say, well, I plan and I have a budget and I make all my minimum payments. How did I get in this situation? Well, I say that, you know, bad things happen to good people all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. The reality of it is is that we've been impacted by a pandemic. Maybe that's how it had an impact upon health and and relationships in general. Uh, the pandemic was a great creator of dividing houses right. <laughs> and, uh, and separations and divorce, to be quite honest, uh, mm-hmm. as relationships maybe broke down a little bit more. And with that, and then you have this increase in inflation and interest rates due to our where our economy currently is on a global basis, it's hard to plan for that. However, right. I have heard many people say, oh, I budget. And yeah. I usually ask them, well, how do you budget? And they say, oh, well, once a year I sit down and I create a budget. <laughs> yeah. Well, creating the budget is part of it. The other big piece is tracking what's really going on right. and being comfortable knowing that you're capturing it all. 
most banks have a budgeting application now that you can access. Mm -hmm. But that's only telling you part of the story. That's telling you what's going through your bank account. It's not right. saying what's going on the credit cards or maybe what's being bought with cash. Until you track all sorts of funds coming in and where it's going, you really may have a false sense of what's going on. I find that quite often with people who, who are in younger generations, they have the debit card and the credit card, and they don't really stop and look at what's happening right. until all of a sudden they're out of money and in overdraft. Right, right. So it takes a bit of diligence and some work. Yeah, and, and it is about education. Um, yeah. As you mentioned earlier, I'm a CPA Canada financial literacy volunteer, and it's amazing the number of tools that are out there, but it takes time to stop, educate yourself, Think about what you might do. Mm -hmm. uh, CPA can put a number of free resources, as do other entities here in here in Alberta. We have an entity called Money Mentors, mm -hmm. very good organization with a lot of free resources. Uh, and Prosper Canada also has uh, a number of resources that are free for for your use, as long as you've got access to the internet. <laughs> so, so you mentioned a lot of people uh, don't necessarily notice that they're in trouble until they realize that they're digging into their overdraft. Uh, what, what are some other warning signs that, that your debt is not manageable? Well, it's the ability to not make those minimum payments, not being able to save some money every month. Right. Uh, you know, people have went over the last two years from being able to put some money away to saying, oh, I can't make ends meet. Well, that's been because of the increased cost of services. Right. And with that, as that saving component dwindled, People weren't thinking ahead, maybe, or mm -hmm. planning. We find ourselves now with the reality, maybe people facing that they're living in their overdraft. They're incurring debt to pay their basic costs of food, like right. putting putting your food purchases on credit cards, you now are able to do. But the reality of it is that you're now living off of credit. And yeah. that's something that we want to try and avoid because all we're doing is creating a bigger hole maybe to try and dig out of later. Yeah, definitely. Given the impact of inflation and higher interest rates, what are some ideas you suggest for consumers to help them deal with increasing monthly costs and their debts? Well, as I mentioned previously, the first is tracking your spending. Know where your money is going and maybe looking at ways to automate your savings if you are still in a savings mindset to set money aside out of every paycheck if possible. Saving right. your loose change. You know, the reality of it is that we have become a bit of a cashless society, but yet we still spend some out of our pocket, and that can add up to quite a bit over a month. Right. In today's environment, uh, comparison shopping for prices and looking at those prices seriously, when especially when we talk about food products, becomes more important. You know, researching the items and saying, yes, this is my my grocery budget this month, and how am I going to meet that with what's available out in the marketplace? There are a number of other ones like avoiding, when we talk about that emotional side, it's avoiding the trigger spending. Um, unfortunately, when we feel helpless, studies show that people will spend more sometimes because they right. figure that they're it's hopeless and, well, I've got available credit, I'm going to use it. It's that mental statement of saying, hey, can I work with what I've got? And having a positive attitude becomes a very big portion of being able to get a control of that. Also, you know, shopping secondhand is not a bad idea. Mm -hmm. It has been kind of an interesting anomaly, as we've seen through the pandemic, where 
supply shortages created an interesting environment in the automobile purchase market where used vehicles were at a much higher price than they currently are today. Right. And that was an anomaly. But, you know, the secondhand vehicle is still an op- option versus the new vehicle. Definitely. So if managing debt on a do-it-yourself basis becomes unmanageable, what legislated options are available for consumers to deal with their mounting debt load? Well, of course, if you're the do-it-yourself options of educating yourself and looking at those opportunities, then the next thing is to look at some non-legislative and legislative options. Mm-hmm. But I do I do caution people on the non-legislative options. There are a number of credit entities that say that they can provide you assistance with their with your debt on social media and places like Facebook. The concern that we have in general with those organizations, if they're unlegislated, then they may not uh, be reputable and right. they may be out there and you'll find yourself having paid a bunch of cash to obtain the option. So here in Alberta, we have realistically the option of the early payment of debt program, which is through Money Mentors here in, in Alberta. Okay. And it it is an option that allows you to consolidate your unsecured debt and reduces the interest rate and it creates a monthly payment plan into the future. Their resources in general are free for for access. Yes, they, when you do enter into an orderly payment of debt order, which is an order of the Court of King's Bench of Alberta, you are paying a portion of what you're paying is paying them a fee in the process, but it's within the payments that you're making. Okay. And it can help you get out of an interest rate issue where maybe you're carrying credit cards or the unfortunate payday loan option with a very high interest rate mm-hmm. and get that interest rate down to the 5% range, which may be all that you really need to be able to work your way out through that orderly payment debt okay. order. If that's not an option, well, then maybe you're having to look at filing what's called a consumer proposal to your creditors or in the very worst scenario, a bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Just for purposes of an understanding, a consumer proposal is where you engage with a licensed insolvency trustee to propose to your unsecured creditors a plan that will see those creditors get something more than they would get in a bankruptcy, but less than full repayment. So there is actually a reduction of the principal and accumulated interest balance owed. And it it is a form of a negotiation that once approved by the creditors and deemed approved or by way of actual court approval of the Court of King's Bench, becomes a plan over five years that will see the retirement of the debt and a stay of proceedings in the process of all the existing unsecured debt so that those creditors won't be calling you every day or sending you nasty letters anymore while you're dealing with your repayment plan under the consumer proposal. Okay. Unfortunately, of course, if that is not an option because there just isn't the cash to deal with it, well, then, of course, maybe a bankruptcy becomes a necessary component of the future. Of course, a first-time bankruptcy is a process of a 9 or 21 months, depending upon your level of income and your family size. Mm-hmm. A second-time bankruptcy has a much more significant impact upon credit rating uh, and, and time parameters being 24 or 36 months in length. Normally, for a younger individual, We try to find a way of doing a consumer proposal, but as you get closer to retirement and if there's never been a bankruptcy in the past, maybe that becomes the the better option, especially for people that are on fixed incomes already. Okay. 
bankruptcy itself has a number of steps. Of course, the first thing is filing the actual assignment, which really means you've stopped and looked at what you have. That's going to tell us also whether or not you can do a consumer proposal. But it also is based upon what assets you get to keep. And in a bankruptcy in Alberta, there is an exemption, that which you're entitled to keep, a $40,000 of equity in a home. Okay. Um, vehicle equity of $5,000. Tools of a trade, if you're a tradesperson, $10,000 worth of tools. And that's resale value. That's not new purchase price. And then there's an exemption for furniture and personal effects of $4,000 for each of those categories. And in Alberta, most life insurance and RRSPs and RESPs are exempt. Okay. So you don't lose those. We, we find quite often that people will turn to cashing out RRSPs to pay debt. Well, that's not a great option, uh, <laughs> just as a sidebar, because, of course, all you're doing is you're you're now using up retirement dollars that are exempt if yeah. you file a consumer or a bank proposal or a bankruptcy. And secondly, you've created a tax debt issue usually that will come to roost in the following year when you file your taxes. So we, we ask people to look at what they get to keep as exempt assets. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe the reality is, is that we help people find a way to rationalize maybe getting rid of certain assets that are redundant turning those to cash to pay debt or that being part of a plan in, in the form of a consumer proposal. So it is kind of a muddied process once we get into those options of consumer proposal and bankruptcy because we're asking people to make some very serious choices yeah. about future lifestyle and understanding that it's short-term pain for a fresh start and getting forward in their life. Right. You'd mentioned that it, whether it's your first or, or second bankruptcy, it affects your credit rating. What exactly does that mean for, for somebody? And does undergoing a consumer proposal, does that affect your credit rating as well? Yes. Uh, all legislative options are going to affect your credit rating. Whether or not you file an orderly payment debt order or a consumer proposal, it is going to have a negative impact upon your credit rating. It's hard to describe this in the way of a lot of people in the credit rating scores, people talk about the old numbering system of one to nine. Mm -hmm. And that's what you see if you were to pull your own credit bureau from either Equifax or TransUnion. And you'll see the numbering system as well as the beacon score. In the old numbering system, a consumer proposal or early payment debt order will create you having a rating of seven. Okay. Or in the beacon score, you're going to find yourself into the 400 to 500 range where 800 is what you're shooting for to having good credit. Okay. Uh, a bankruptcy is also going to have a much worse scenario than that. But bankruptcy generally is the same rating as if you were placed with outside collection agency. You've already hit that type of area with your credit. Okay. And that is a nine on the old uh, nine point system. And the 350 to 400 range usually on the beacon score system. Okay. But the uh, but the other aspect of it is the length of what that stays on. Once you've hit a legislated option of a consumer proposal or early payment debt program, once you complete either of those programs, it's on your credit rating for another three years that you've used that program. Okay. If you do a bankruptcy, the first time bankruptcy is the period of the bankruptcy plus another six years. And if it's a second or subsequent 
bankruptcy, it's going to impact your credit rating for the period of the bankruptcy plus 14 years. Right. There's a good reason why we we try to keep people away from filing a second, if at all possible, because of that longer impact. Yeah. That that doesn't mean that people will not be able to get back to having good credit. It means yeah. that you're going to be working at it. It usually takes two to five years to reestablish a good credit rating. Okay. In the long run, it is still relatively short-term pain for a longer, longer-term gain. It can be. The, yeah. the reality of the process, of course, is that um, we see out there a range of response. The person who is older in age they really have struggle with restructuring their finances usually. Mm -hmm. The younger person kind of sees what's going on, maybe a little bit less resistant. But I always tell people that the first thing, if you're going to restructure your finances and use any of the legislative options, is you've got to be able to look in the mirror the next day and say, yeah, I knew I had to take this option because it made sense for me to be able to move forward in my life and I can live with whatever stigma people believe is following them around right. from the process. Right. I, I just want to go back to something that you had mentioned earlier about bankruptcies and, and people thinking that they needed to sell off RSPs to pay off their, their debts. Uh, what are some other myths about using the consumer proposal or bankruptcy options are out there that people should know about? Well, one of the biggest myths is that you're going to lose your house or you're going to lose your vehicle. The question is, can you afford your mortgage payments to your or your loan payments to your secured creditor. Right. The bankruptcy or consumer proposal option doesn't help you reduce your secured debt. Unfortunately, uh, that's just not going to happen. But without the costs of maintaining your payments on your unsecured debt, maybe it makes you able to uh, afford that secured debt. And secured debt is defined as usually an where there's an asset that's been pledged as collateral for the loan. Right. And that's usually mortgages and car loans yeah. and other uh, other loans such as campers and RVs and motorcycles. Okay. It isn't the end of the world. A bankruptcy or a proposal gets a fresh start, allows you to move forward, reestablish your credit, maybe manage your credit better as well because when you use any of these legislated options, you are required to take a couple of financial counseling sessions to be able to say, here's how I got where I'm at. It's sort of a, the position of saying, hey, how did I manage to find myself here? Right. What lessons are there? Maybe using some new tools that are offered by the counselor to say, here's how we can manage better. And the other counseling sessions usually talk how we're going to start to use credit more wisely in the future, how to plan for the use of credit. And those are good tools that come out of uh, filing either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. The other good thing about a bankruptcy actually is that in a bankruptcy, you're forced to track your income and expenses for the trustee. Mm -hmm. And that can sometimes be a good tool to use because it's going to be maybe nine or 21 months in a first-time bankruptcy or 24 or 36 months in a second bankruptcy. And you're going to get into the habit of tracking your income and your expenses and right. really looking at that more as a, a learning tool for your future. And it helps reestablish maybe a better habit to manage your money into the future post-bankruptcy or consumer proposal. So there are some wins that occur. Of course, people worry about that impact on the credit rating. Yeah, it's, it's a worry, mm -hmm. but of course, having collection agencies calling you or 
having a foreclosure or repossession of a an asset occur is much more stressful. Yeah, right. <laughs> Here's a quick question. What about uh, people on fixed income? What options are available uh, for them? Well, I think that the important thing to remember for those on fixed incomes is are leveraging and having access to all the benefits that are available to them. I, I've found here in Alberta, a number of people, especially seniors, aren't of aren't aware of that there's an Alberta seniors benefit that provides some supplement for those people on low income, mm-hmm. the opportunity to have access to um, subsidized health care, and also the concept of what what benefits are out there from a federal and a provincial basis. The um, Prosper Canada has a has a tool called Benefits Wayfinder, okay. which is a great tool for people to go in, see what's available for their specific scenario, and it really can help those fixed income individuals maybe get a little bit of supplement on their income. A number of the, of the larger communities in Alberta are now entering into rent subsidies to help people age in place versus being in, in seniors' homes. And you exploring whether or not there is a rent subsidy from your local community is also something that can be looked at for those that are on fixed income or finding themselves in financial straits, trying to make that dollar stretch, be it from age or from pension income. Okay. No, that that's great to know. One, I, I guess, a final question, and, and then we'll send you on your way. Um, how can people dig their way out? Are, are there simple, tangible steps that... Uh, we can take now that will make a difference? Well, I think it's all about planning. It's all about tracking those, what, where your sources of income are coming from and where it's going. Maximizing that income, minimizing the expenses, of course, which is sort of that real standard piece, but it might also be looking at what you have for assets are that are redundant, they're not going to be, uh, that would be lost anyways in a, in a restructuring and looking at, well, can I liquidate those now to retire debt in a manner that's going to allow me to avoid any formal restructuring and uh, spending that, creating that spending pattern going forward. Mm-hmm. A number of people will have small things that are maybe less meaningful anyways as they figure out how they're going to move forward. I've had families that have sold a car. They went back to having one car. Mm-hmm. And that can can significantly reduce the cost of insurance and maintenance and upkeep of a second vehicle. Right. The concept of downsizing and housing a little bit difficult right now because entry level housing is is seeing a a significant uh, demand and maybe not as great an idea. But uh, you know uh, we're blessed here in Alberta with lower housing prices than elsewhere in in the country, mm-hmm. and sometimes that downsizing makes some sense to reduce the costs of rent slash mortgage costs, right? right? The reality is is that sometimes people have to turn what was a hobby into an income stream. That's another option where, you know, something that was a hobby becomes a second income. Okay. Unfortunately, another one that I see often these days is taking on roommates. Um, right. Of course, we're, we're in a housing crunch right now. And that extra bedroom, assuming you can live with having having other people living with you yeah. um, can be a significant source of income with what that rent cost is out there to a lot of people. You might be helping yourself out and that right. other person by agreeing to have to be a roommate. Yeah. 
thing that we see is, of course, the costs of cable and internet connection and, uh, and telephone. Yeah. These utility costs are significant. Sometimes having just a simple internet connection and not subscribing to cable maybe might be a good idea. Looking at other subscription services that are right. lower cost. Yeah. Looking at the overall cost of what you're doing, how you're spending your money, maybe choosing to change what entertainment looks like to you. Less mm -hmm. costly items, eating in a bit more, maybe not going out to the movies as much. Right. And, and just having a more centered and wholesome lifestyle um, and finding those creative ways to look at how you're spending your money to create that emotional well-being that we all must have and yet at the same time be content with what you have. Right. Yeah, those are all great tips. Well, Sandy, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge on on how we can manage our debt and, and provide some insight into some steps we can take to dig ourselves out of debt. I know you mentioned that you're semi-retired, but if anyone wanted to reach out to you regarding uh, your services as a licensed insolvency trustee and credit counselor, or even to find out more about uh, the CPA Canada's financial literacy program, how can they find you? Well, I'm just really happy to talk to anybody about their financial situation. My initial consultations are always free for the first hour. Best way of reaching out to me is by email at lethbridgetrustee at gmail.com or cell phone number 403-308-9869. And I receive uh, text messages at that phone number as well. And I'm always happy to talk to people about where they're at and how they might be able to solve their problems, recognizing that a bankruptcy or consumer proposal are the final steps in the process. A simple conversation can sometimes lead to new awareness and new ways of doing things and looking at life, and that can always save in the long run. That's perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. This episode featured Sandy Lyons, CIRP, CPA, CFE. If you like what you're hearing, have ideas for future episodes, or have any feedback you'd like to share, email us at knowledgecenter at cpaalberta.ca. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is produced by the CPA Education Foundation, the charitable arm of the CPA profession in Alberta. This podcast is made possible by Brian Heshey, FCPA, FCA. Thanks to Brian's generous donation, the foundation created the Heshey CPA Knowledge Center, a virtual hub of resources for all Albertans. Find out more about the foundation and the Knowledge Center at cpaalberta.ca slash foundation.